Hey, welcome to the Circle of Salt, the podcast where we use our snark to protect the occult community from itself and others. Circle of Salt is brought to you by Felix Warren, a.k.a. Ass, and Rune Emerson. A.k.a. Grimoire of Butt Cheekery. (laughs) What the fuck? That's what he said. So, uh, just so you know, Circle of Salt's website is at circleofsaltpodcast.tumblr.com, and you can go there to ask questions and get updates about the podcast. If you haven't found us on iTunes yet, we're on there. That's where we are, and we're also in other places, but iTunes is a good place. And you can subscribe to always hear our latest episode as soon as it goes up. If you like listening to Circle of Salt, it would be super swell if you would review us on iTunes and tell your friends about the podcast. And if you don't like Circle of Salt, then don't do that and never talk about us. Absolutely not. Just don't. So, okay, so uh, we're going to try to make the beginnings of these podcasts a little bit less immediate jump into Murder Salt and more chill kind of you know sodium free intro and then we'll move into the salt um so hi felix i miss you how are you i miss you too (laughs) i'm doing well it's actually not boiling temperature in portland right now which is nice of it it is out here um Uh, yeah yeah. you're in reno but we have a swamp cooler so i'm relatively chill and that's nice um and i don't go outside because you know murder death ball in the sky um but anyway so like what has been going on that has been super fun since I, I don't live near you, so I miss you, and tell me something good about your life. Uh, well, right now, lots of good things are happening in the garden, because um, plants are growing, and they're getting real big. Um, this year, I mostly, like, a lot of witches grow a bunch of spooky herbs, and I am not this year. I'm just growing mint. Oh my gosh. Um, hey, that has magic. Yes, there's like, a lot of what I'm growing is, there's like a lot of magic to be done. I have a lot of basil. That's magical. It's just, I'm not like growing something that you could smoke and then like do spirit flight with. Oh, okay. So no detour for you. Yeah. I do have some, some Datura um, seeds in the freezer, but I did not sprout them early enough this year, so I'm just saving them for next year. Oh, there you go. Uh, so, okay, well then, I'll tell you one for me. I am having a much better day now that I've calmed my ass down, and I am doing a quiz online. Which which are you? These are never good, and but this one's actually pretty funny. The question I'm on right now, question five says, would Snow White get on your nerves? And all of the answers are perfect. Like, I am so excited. The very first answer. Yes, she's a ditz with her head in the clouds. Yes. Who breaks into someone's house and starts cleaning it as though that takes care of rent? <laughs> These are, like, the best freaking questions and the best answers. And I'm like, oh, this test is clearly made for me. I'm going to turn out so evil. So you know, anybody, anytime somebody says that they're going to clean your house and turn for rent, they never actually clean it. Dude, what is that? Oh, see, that's another dish of salt. Roommates are an entirely different dish of salt, and we should totally turn that into another podcast. So Actually, we'll, yeah, make a note of that, because I'm doing it. roommates for witches is a huge issue. It's actually a big community issue, and like I've got a lot that I could say there. So. Exactly, so we'll, we'll do another episode on that. Yes. Okay, cool, that's so that's happened. been written down. Okay, uh, it's time for our first installment, affectionately called... Hekas, hekas, este bullshit. Today's dish of salt is served by Felix and is entitled, Google is a thing. Maybe you should use it. 
Yeah, so this happens a lot when it comes to online interactions, but it also applies to some some IRL interactions. Basically, it doesn't matter if you've got like 100 followers or 10,000. It's very common that someone's going to send in an ask saying like, hey, do you know how to do this basic thing and can you explain it to me right here? And I hate those. It's not even just doing a basic thing. It's like, what are the correspondences for Lavender? Um, right. Like, you know, just or really, really basic stuff like, you know, what is the, the history of witchcraft? And, you know, if, if my, t my blog were like, you know, historyofwitchcraft.tumblr.com, well, for one, I'd basically probably direct the person to my FAQ. Because, like, you know, not even Google, but FAQs are a thing. Right. Anytime you go to somebody to ask them questions, it's really polite to first check their blog. And if you're on Tumblr, then you probably should be checking on desktop because mobile sometimes blasts away like nice little links to FAQs and stuff. Right. But it's good to check for an FAQ. It's good to check like the last 10 posts they made too. Um, if you're asking about something that's like a current issue, like or somebody's post went viral. Um, and that's then, how you like, found them in the first place. Yeah, t 10 people may have already asked this question, which is quite likely. Um, it's good to just think for a second as to, like, you know, why would this person answer my question? Um, well, and I think yeah. that comes up an awful lot. Like, okay, so can I sound in on your dish a little bit? No, sure. This is, like, this is everybody's dish, in my opinion. Okay, cool, because seriously, this drives me crazy. Like, I don't get enough questions, and I actually style my blog as a, as a Q&A blog. Literally, every blog and side blog I run is an ask blog. Please ask me questions. But this actually bugs me, because a lot of times the questions that people do ask me are not, like, actual questions so much as, let me Google that for you. Like... We always have to kind of think, well, what's obvious to us may not always be obvious to other people, and we'll get into that later, but um, as part of this episode. But like what's like some things, it's your mileage may vary. Are you asking my personal opinion on this? Because if you're asking my personal opinion, some of these things are not things that will even matter to you. So like that thing that you said, like, what are the correspondences for lavender? Um, who are you what what reference are you asking? You know, like, are you asking the Cunningham Wicca version? Are you asking the alchemical version that comes out of medieval grimoires? Um, are you asking for the hoodoo version? Because there's so many different, like, correspondences, and all of them have different reasons for them. And unless you practice that kind of magic, that's not going to help you. Why are you even asking? Well, we even got one of these come to the, um, the Circle of Salt blog, where somebody asked, hey, like, tell me all about, like where Lucifer actually shows up in the Bible and how you know that and, like, you know, him being the devil and all that. And I honestly, like, the first answer There's that I gave to that... cannot sum up. <laughs> yeah, like, the first answer I gave to that is, like, well, you're a asking on Anonymous. Like, you know, pro tip, if you want a good answer to a question, stop clicking Anonymous. That's like, true. It's really nice for somebody who's answering your question to know who you are. Like, make a burner blog if you don't want it to be, you know, your blog that has your real name attached to it or something right. but having a direct means of contact is really helpful um this is actually why when we get questions um we ask people to put fake little names in there so we can talk about them and people won't be outed but we can still answer them privately or something to that effect if necessary 
Yeah, and if you don't give us a fake little name, then we'll give you one. But we make them up, and we enjoy making them up, so please feel free not to. Yeah, it's fun. But, like, it, it's really important to have, like, if you're asking for answers in exchange for nothing, and you also take away any way that we have to answer you in private or even just address you, it just seems like you're, like, taking away, like, the one thing that you could even offer when it comes to this equation. Right, the one um, thing that makes it fun for us. Yeah, and, and like, when it came to that, Lucifer asked, like, the person, and this is why we even have the topic of how to Google, they yes. said, well, Lucifer's listed all kinds of ways in the Bible, like, and I even looked this up, and I'm like, you didn't look this up. Right. And I because answered this on the, the, the blog. It's like, if you type in the question, is Lucifer in the Bible, and you ignore every fundamentalist kind of, you know, super conservative result. Lucifer lives on Mars and is having sex with children. Yeah, like, if you ignore that. That was then, a thing, by the way. He, oh, God. Yeah, um, continue that's this. not even his planet. His planet is Venus. He's <laughs> <laughs> the morning star. The morning star is Venus. So, um, <laughs> that's the one thing about that entire issue that got me angry. Was more that. salt. More. <laughs> like, I'm going to be a Lucifer pedant about this particular thing. Well, yeah. That, yeah, continue. Sorry. <laughs> um, Every other result on there tells you, it's like, oh, here is the explanation as to why Lucifer is not officially in the Bible, and the only mention of Lucifer was actually just people using slang, or basically a word that meant the morning star, because Lucifer was the deity that represented the morning star, literally Venus. And so people would say Lucifer to mean the morning star, and it was a sentence about a Babylonian king that people were comparing to the Morning Star, not as in saying that he was like Lucifer, as in saying he was like, you know, oh my gosh, some fallen angel, but literally comparing him to that, like, item in the sky. Like, Lucifer wasn't a thing yet, because this is kind of the trope namer. <laughs> yes, exactly. It started there. And then there are versions after that that, you know, have the Bible, like, you know, kind of sneaking Lucifer in as, like, another way to refer to Satan or the devil. And you'd find this out if you Googled it. And so I'm going to literally teach you how to Google. And I will say that I am not salty about this particular part because there's really not much out there that teaches us how to Google. That's true. Like, there's letmegoogle.thatforyou.com, or, uh, you know, the acronym for that, dot com. Mm -hmm. But that's really sarcastic, although I find that's a useful tool, because if you do use letmegoogle.thatforyou.com and you type in the actual Google term they should be using, then you're kind of teaching them what term they should be using for Google. When you're Googling something, like, if that person just typed in Lucifer into Google, okay, they probably got a lot of results. The, you know, because Lucifer has all kinds of information about him on the entire internet. Mm -hmm. So, in that regard, okay, yeah, you probably didn't find out that Lucifer is only in the Bible due to some convoluted reason if you only typed in Lucifer into Google. Um, what you do to find a good result on Google is you type in the question that someone would ask someone to find this out. And this will do two things. One, Google in particular, although other search engines can do this, um, has some logic built into it that can actually parse your intent there. So if you say, like, you know, is Lucifer in the Bible, then it'll take a lot of those terms there and kind of weight them as to what articles it picks. You know, so, you know, Lucifer, Bible, um, 
is in the like you know there'll there'll be some stuff in there that it takes out but two if it's a question that someone has already asked on something like Yahoo Answers or About.com or a help forum, then you will find the help forum where somebody asked that question, and you'll find all the answers that someone gave to it. Mm-hmm. So one of the best ways to start out by using Google is to just ask a question. It's like, you know, askjeeves.com, except just using any search engine now. And like, also better. Yeah, because Ask Jeeves was actually kind of broken. All that it's kind of okay, um, but like that that gimmick is no longer even a gimmick now. It's just how search works. Now, if you can't think of an appropriate question or like wording the question like makes things kind of weird, then you just kind of want to give enough terms to like make it more specific. Like you know, if you want to ask about a specific thing about the goddess Freya, then you don't just type in Freya. Like you add, you you put in Freya and uh, if you're asking about um, the big gray cats that drive her chariot, I was just thinking about her cats. So yeah, it's like you, but you don't put Freya the big gray cats that drive her chariot. You say like you know Freya cats chariot, and I'll, then although I will admit that I've actually had really good luck with just saying like whatever the fuck. Yeah, you can start with that. Google the giant it, fucking cats that drive Freya's chariot. Yeah, and if you try that and it doesn't really work out, then you just start no, instead of. Down. Yeah, you, you basically just take the important terms out of that, like the important nouns and verbs in your sentence, and just put just those in, and Google will figure out the rest. It will find the articles and the pages that have those terms in specific, and that will really help um, when you're trying to not search articles about video games. Yes. Because a lot of pop like a lot of mythological figures, a lot of deities, a lot of demons, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, are in video games now. Uh, yes. Or pop culture. Like literally they are characters in video games or they animate them. Yeah. So if you're like trying <laughs> not to get an anime as the result whenever searching about alchemy, <laughs> oh, you're going to need to Lordy. be kind of specific because Full Metal Alchemist will fill up all of your if results I... if you just search about alchemy. If I hear another person talk to me from uh, from a position of like expertise on medieval alchemy and quote the goddamn law of equivalent exchange, <laughs> I am gonna chuck uh, an alembic and a vial full of poison at their head. What's oh funny God. is that that's really just a plot gimmick. It is. It has nothing to do with actual alchemy. Oh my God! But it's totally okay because I totally like the show. I love the show. I yeah, really I think do. That the, the show actually teaches anyway. some important things, but and that might be another different thing. I on think pop that magic. for I think that for alchemy might actually be the same as no personal gain for Wicca. <laughs> I think it might actually be the same thing. From a different... Oh, my God. Okay, so anyway, sorry, I interrupted your salt with some of my own. That's fine. <laughs> All these salts can mix together and make some flavorful gumbo. Of murder. Um, yeah, murder gumbo. Murder gumbo. Murder's like my murder. favorite word today. Yeah, that's, that's a good word to put it's in front word. of a lot of things. So, um, yeah, I just told you how to Google. Yeah, So do Google. that before you hit the ask button on someone's blog. Um... Do that Google, and then you will know the thing. And if you haven't ever seen anybody talk about that thing online or you know in whatever sphere of the blogiverse that you're existing, maybe you can take what you learned in Google 
and write about it and post it, and then everyone will go into your inbox and ask you about it. <laughs> um, so basically what I'm doing here is kind of sympathizing with anyone who runs not just a resource blog, but any type of blog, because this used to be like a resource blog thing, but I think now it happens to everyone. Um, it doesn't, like, if you have one post get kind of popular about anything, then everybody floods in your inbox asking about that one particular thing and that assumes happened. that you are, like, now the teacher. You know what I wish they had? That did happen to me, but it didn't finish the way I wanted it to. Like, I had one post that became really popular, the Grimoire spread, and everybody likes it, and... It's good spread. I think so, too. I really enjoy it. I've even improved upon it and changed it around and turned it into something you can do for rituals instead of just spells and potions. And I put the remedy version of it in my book and all sorts of stuff. By the way, those of you who have bought nothing but a pack of cards, the remedy spread is deliberately based off of the Grimoire spread. So that if you didn't know that, now you do. Um, but, like, someone, like, a bunch of people posted Grimoire spreads and things like that. And I was like, yay! It's a, a popular thing. Holy crap, I love it. But now, people are, like, making their own blogs about it and, like, doing their own thing. And, like, I'm cool with that, but I didn't even get invited to the party. Like, nobody even were like, hey, we have this blog. Do you want to come play with us? No. Oh, because now that it's a popular post, they just kind of assume that it's a public domain thing as opposed to something anybody ever actually wrote and invested like it, their time in. I didn't mind that part. Like, it can be, like, public domain as long as I get to play as part of the party. That's like when I did the Cloud Sorcery book, and, like, everybody started using it, and then nobody told me. And there was, like, this total, like, discussion group on Skype that I didn't get to be a part of. And I was like, ah. But I want to play too. So that would be a Creative Commons license issue, but that's a different thing. Um, and, and I don't, yeah. I'm, so I might be a little bitter. Anyways, invite me to your party, you guys. Oh my gosh, invite Rune to your party. He's so nice, and he will improve everything. Oh, you're um, sweet. I probably won't, but like, invite me anyway. He will improve everything. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we should move. He's on. so sweet and so modest. Um, I do want to make. Okay, one more note about the actual on-topic salt. Yes, go. This is one more reason why someone may not automatically become your teacher on something, is if you are deciding to, out of the blue, ask them about something that they may not necessarily want or be at liberty to talk to you about. Right. I get a lot of asks about Lucifer. Oh, and see. I work with Lucifer, and our our agreement is very particular. I work with a lot of demons and a lot of entities that are totally fine with me talking, like, all sorts of things about our work together and how to work with them and how to better your relationship with them and everything like you know they're basically like oh yeah i want you to basically do pr for me whereas lucifer is like nope right he's fine with me of course saying this stuff on the podcast he's fine with me every now and then mentioning things or talking about things but he is not fine with me teaching people how to work with lucifer in general um or probably because he wants to do that, that himself yes not only that not only does he want to do that himself but he does not he, he wants certain things for me when it comes to like you know my devotion and things that i do with him and things i do for him and our relationship with each other but he is not looking for me to teach about him 
in terms of the relationship that I have with him. He, like, that is not what he's coming to me for. He does not want me doing that particular duty. I have other demons that want me to do that duty. Um, I have, you know, other entities who want that, and he's not one of them, and he's very particular about that. And the, the, the times where I've been like, well, what if I do it anyway? Like, can I just do it this once? He's like, well, I'm not going to tell you you can't, because I'm not that sort of entity, but... <laughs> Remember that I told you this, and then I tried. I like you know went on Tumblr and I like tried to tell people about you know Lucifer and like you know teach about the certain things that I knew and and you know give people an idea of my own experience. And it went like shit because the real reason why he's telling me not to do it is because when you talk about Lucifer on in in public, especially like on the internet, it turns into a shit show. And he didn't want me in a shit show, right? Like and he wasn't that, really interested in in observing that. That makes a perfect. That makes perfect sense. Okay, so are we yeah. ready to move on? Yeah, basically, like, when people opt, like, you know, some people are not going to answer your questions about entities because they're not at liberty to do so, or, like, that there's they're not there to teach you about that entity. This, Just because they talk about working with them doesn't mean that they're here to teach you about them. This actually moves into the concept of a lot of different things. It's not just about entities. Sometimes it has to do with things like, like privileged information. Um, oh, yeah, definitely, like, initiated stuff. Yeah, there are things in my magical tradition that I am literally not going to talk to anyone about because to do so would violate an oath. Or, um, like, since I don't actually have a whole lot in the way of oath-bound secrets, like, that's literally stuff between me and my deities, so I'm not going to violate that. But there are also things that you haven't done the work, so the information is not for you. So, and I know you haven't done the work because you're not sitting in front of one of my friends or me taking classes. Because if you were, I would know who you are, and you would just ask me next time we got together at Gather or something. So, anyway, um, so, and it's not personal at that point. Like, our tradition is a local tradition. It's not something you can get a hold of on the internet very easily. So, it's not personal. Um, it's just, we value our stuff, and we value each other, and this is a part of our connection to each other. So, it would be rude for us to share that all over the place. Which, by the way, I am writing a book called The Artemisia Book that is literally a synthesis of all of that kind of stuff that I can share. So eventually it'll be published and you'll be able to read it. Um, but I had to go and talk to the, the leaders of my tradition and be like, all right, guys, I founded this thing, but it isn't just my baby. It's everybody's baby. So what should we include in this book and what should we not include? So, you know, sometimes people, and I don't think that any responsible or good teacher would take that too terribly personally if you asked about that thing and they couldn't tell you. I think that a responsible and wise teacher would say, well, I can't really talk to you about that and I'm sorry. You know, they won't make you, they won't make you out to be the bad guy for it. It's not your fault. You didn't know. But it, do understand when that happens that there are reasons for it and it isn't always personal. Okay, so I think we should go on, Yes. Yes. All right, cool. So it, we're going to jump from there into our discourse segment, a.k.a. Echo Chamber Azarak, where we talk about things that are totally true and totally interesting, and we are totally right. Uh, today's discourse is teaching teachers how to teach. God damn it. All right, so what we decided to do with this particular segment is we noticed that there are a lot of teachers out there, or there are a lot of people who are trying to teach out there, which is not the same thing as actually being a teacher. Um, and I think that it's really important for teachers to have some support from the community in their teaching. You may know a thing that is super valuable and you really want to share it. 
but you don't know the first thing about teaching, so you just kind of jump in, which is what most of us do. Uh, maybe you took a course or two, or four, or 20, or 100, or whatever, and people taught you stuff, and now you want to turn around and teach it to others, and so you're trying to follow their steps, but maybe they didn't give you the keys that you needed to actually be a good teacher, because let me be the first to say, teaching is its own skill set. It has nothing to do with whether you're capable of practicing. Um, it has nothing to do with whether you learned the thing. It has everything to do with, are you capable of teaching well? And there are some tips that we have for you. If you are interested in teaching, if you are trying to learn to teach, if you've already been teaching and have been wondering why your classes are not going so well, maybe these tips will help you because they helped us. So Felix gets to start us out with his first tip. Go. Magical tip on teaching. Okay, yes. so first tip. You're going to have to sort of put yourself in your students' shoes because you are now in the position where you know the thing and the other person doesn't. And there was a point in time when you didn't know this thing yet. And But since then, you have not only do you know it, but you've hopefully, if you're teaching, mastered it to some degree. And so feeling like you've mastered something and being in that position is a totally different feeling than not having been there yet. And if enough time has passed between one thing and the other, you probably don't remember what it's like to not know this thing and to not having, like, not not done it yet. Like, you know, you just haven't been there yet. And so you're going to have to gain the perspective of your student to be able to teach them this. Right. You know, it's actually really interesting. Uh, I actually went through this. Um... So to just kind of back you up, Felix, I, w I taught for 10 years my Witchcraft 101 course and taught everybody the same lessons, literally the same 48 classes for the same like curriculum with very little variation, um, a few minutiae and so on and so forth based on the differences between students. For 10 years, I taught that same course over and over again as my career. And one of the things that happened at the end of it was I got really bad at teaching it because I forgot what it was like not to know the material. So when my students would not understand a thing or when there would be a confusion about a particular point or something, or they were just not getting it, they were just not feeling it or whatever, or they had a, an alternate experience that wasn't part of that same repetitive decade of training that I basically went through, um, I had no perspective on how to help them, and I became a bad teacher because of it. So I had to, I, had to, I literally had to retire from teaching that course and take a year off to do my own thing, and now I'm only teaching it one-on-one. -on -one. I refuse to teach it in class structure anymore because I am able to reacquaint myself with the perspective of my students when I spend intimate time with them. So that might be happening for some of you, some of you might be getting burned out in the course that you're teaching or whatever, um, or it might happen to you in the future. So, but the important thing to recognize here is they literally don't know what to ask. Your students don't know what it is you know, so they don't know where you're going with it. So put yourself in that perspective and remember that. And something really interesting is, is that the course that you're teaching me? Yes. So our listeners probably don't know this. Um, we are actually teaching each other currently. Yeah, it's kind of awesome, actually. We're enrolled in each other's courses. That that just sort of happened. Like, both yeah. of us had stuff that we wanted to learn from the other person. person. Yeah, and that was actually, like, that kind of started up before we even really started dating. 
yeah like, like it's pretty cool yeah, it is actually <laughs> like seriously i've learned so much i am so excited Ooh, and i will talk to you about that after the podcast because i have a thing to tell you anyways oh, now they're all gonna wonder yep and that's okay <laughs> all right circle so, of salt secret <laughs> exactly uh, so we will move on to the next uh, point, unless you have more to say about it. Felix? Um, no, that's pretty much it. Like, you got to gain that perspective of your student. And if you don't, then you're going to kind of sound like an asshole. Um, and sometimes that's like the, that's one of the worst case scenarios. The best case scenario you're going to get is your students aren't going to know what you're talking about. and It's going to take extra time to teach them. Yeah, that's going to be really frustrating. Yeah, you can learn things through rote. Some people can learn that, and so beating their head against a wall will sometimes work, but not always. So my next tip is outline your course and be prepared to revise it. Uh, so anytime I am getting ready to teach something, I will teach a couple of workshops to kind of feel it out and see what people's interest will be like or whatever. I'll teach a few like smaller courses, etc., on the subject, see how people react to it, see what their questions are, see what their interests are, and so on. Then, once I'm finally ready to teach it as an actual course, I will sit down and I will go over the entire course and I will outline it. And I usually do this with the help of some people, like I have my husband who will like answer questions. Um, I've got three men in this house, who I, all of whom I'm married to. I know that's really strange for all of you who are not poly, but whatever. Um, but every single one of them has good points about my teaching because they've all taken classes with me at one point or another. Uh, but I will sit down with them or with one of my magical partners or one of my friends, and I will be like, okay, so this is the course. What kind of questions would you ask if you were taking it? And then that kind of thing. Once I've, I've developed the course, and that will usually take me a year to two years to get finished. I know people are like, wow, that's a long time. And I'm like, actually, I never teach anything unless I have done it as I'm teaching it for a year. So once the course is set up, I personally walk through it for a year because my courses are usually about a year long. Um, I want to make sure that I've been through it and seen what it looks like from this perspective so that I am ready. I'm prepared. Then, after the first year of teaching it to other people, I go back and revise the entire goddamn thing because I've already made a bunch of ch changes. I've had to um, jump off one train of thought into a completely different one. I've rearranged the order of the course. I've taken in questions that I had never imagined. The second year is always much more streamlined. So, that's a thing. I have yet to create a course that lasts in its entirety past the first year. Like the first year, I'm working out the kinks, I'm working out the bugs, and I always tell my students that when we're getting in. This is the first time I've ever taught this course. Please let me know if you have any suggestions or tips or um, things that didn't work for you, any questions. Um, sometimes we'll give them feedback forms or something at the end and be like, hey, you know, what do you think? Um, but always I prepare to revise. I am ready to revise because nothing we do in teaching is so perfect that it doesn't require some tweaking. And so I prepare from the beginning with that. So what's interesting about your method there is that I've got a method that sort of coordinates with that, but is almost its counterpoint. And you know it because you've been taking this course. So I have a course on Patreon that is $12 a month, which is far less than any other course I found on... And Way cheaper than mine. Way cheaper the, than mine. 
the reason why it is that price is because not only is it my first time teaching this course, but it is actually like the people, the students who are taking this course are kind of like the beta readers. Mm-hmm. Like they're all guinea pigs. Yep. Um, you're all guinea pigs. And so by teaching this course, I get feedback from people immediately on like if this is working for them, what they're confused about, what they really would have liked to know before a certain lesson or like you know if I teach a certain lesson they're like well what about all this and like oh okay I guess that if this were a perfect world I would have taught you all that other stuff before this but the outline that I made totally doesn't have that and so I basically do a beta outline teach it and then see how it goes from there and um, the plan is that once I've actually done this for a year then I'm able to refine that into like you know a much more uh, street not just streamlined course but like you know all of the kinks are, are worked out and right. so I've got basically like you know students who are, are helping me proof this course as I do mm-hmm. it that's actually something that when I do my first year of any course I I inform students you're helping me do this and generally I'll give them a break on the fee because of it like I charge less at the beginning than I do once I, it gets streamlined uh, an example, the very first course that I ever did was $15 every other week. The very first witchcraft course that I did, the witchcraft one-on-one that you're learning was $15 every other week. And only two out of 12 students graduated that course. Um, I upped it to $20 a week and streamlined it from the work that I got from those two students. And they were my first initiates. So it's really kind of similar. All right, so are we, uh, are we done with that, that tip? I think so. I think we're moving on to your next tip. All right, and so your tip was basically have an outline for the course, and mine kind of goes from that, and it's about more the individual lesson level, which is you need to have a defined and planned beginning, middle, and end for the lesson that you're teaching, um, and you need to be prepared to keep it on that defined beginning, middle, of end when things try to move off topic, like, you know, school yourself and get them back on topic, just like we often do on this podcast. Yes. Um, and that's because your time is valuable, your student's time is valuable, and, like, if you've only got an hour booked for, like, a location or whatever, like, that's not going to be able to extend sometimes. Like, you've got to be able to get it all in, and if you don't, then, you right. know, the time is, we can't make more time. Um, unless you do time magic. Well, um, Mr. It's not a bug, it's a feature Elegos and his time yeah. magic. Uh, this was part of the plan. Um, um, interestingly enough, uh, like I have a, a caveat on that where workshops are concerned. I schedule my workshops to have some loose guidelines. There's some shit we need to get through and we're going to get through it and so on and so forth. But there are some things that if we don't get to them, I don't care. Like, it doesn't that matter. That makes sense. I always make my workshops able to fit within the, the, um, the timeline, no matter what timeline it is, because the subject has a lot of stuff to talk about, otherwise you wouldn't be talking about it. But it has a lot to do with that whole organizing thing. There's a beginning, middle, and end. Know where you're going with all of this and be ready to drop shit out or um, fluff something up if you've got extra room. Yeah, and like the defined beginning, middle, and end really helps students because they feel more confident that you're not floundering. Yes, and it makes their notes more efficient when they're reading them so that they can keep learning this stuff after they leave. 
Oh gosh, I can definitely say that one from experience having been to like workshops where it's like, okay, you basically just gave me a PowerPoint lecture on art history. But mm-hmm. like there was no actual structure to what you just told me. Like you basically just like said this person and this person and this person and this person and it's like onslaught mm-hmm. of information. It's um, frustrating. Yeah, and like there's like I I very, very, in a much, like, much of a flurry took notes on that, and I'm looking back at my notes actually a year later now, and I'm like, okay, there's a bunch of names here that I can Google, but otherwise, I don't know who this person is and this person is. (laughs) Like, I didn't absorb any of this. Uh And, like, that's, you've got to really think about how people learn and take in a lesson, and if you're doing a written lesson, um you need to be able to make sure that you stay on topic writing that lesson um, and get, keep it on that structure. Like, I am really guilty of not doing this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyone out there who's read one of my articles, especially one of my earlier articles, is like, yeah, Felix, 6,000 words later, you did actually end up on some sort of conclusion. You know, but, like, your articles actually include a lot of really valuable information. Like, you don't just tangent and talk about your puppy. You, like, seriously include useful shit that people can follow up, and links, and chapter and verse on stuff that is important to them. Seriously, like, don't feel too bad about that. I don't feel very bad. I just look over it, and I'm like, you know what? I think there's about five articles right here. (laughs) (laughs) I would really break these up. Or when it came to like some of the lessons that I that I taught for the Patreon course, especially the earlier ones, I'm like, you know what? Like I can see me going off right here onto a completely different subject, and that's because that was supposed to be like a later lesson or even an earlier lesson, but a separate lesson that tried to sort of make itself become itself right there. And it's really difficult when you're writing or when you're talking to actually like keep those topics only on that topic if you've got a lot of things that you need to say. Like, they all want to kind of come out. Right. Well, and that's when you know you really are a a geek about a topic, because you've got a whole lot to share, and you're not done. You know? Yeah, and that's why how you know that you have a lot to teach if there's just so much, and it's so hard to just, like, not teach a bunch. That's actually a pretty good problem as a teacher. Right. Okay, so are we ready to move on to the next? Yes. Okay, so the next topic is mine, isn't it? Yes, it is. Good, because this is one of my favorites. So, um, if you're going to teach, you need to develop some tricks of teaching that allow your students to relate to you as a person, allow them to relate to your your lessons in context, and so on and so forth. Um, I happen to be a wily type person who likes to come up with little tricks in the course that cause my students to giggle and personally internalize. Um, Humor does that. So um, one of my favorite tricks to teach people with is to teach people how to ask questions and how to learn. Um, We call it the witch's blade, and there's this whole set of techniques about it, and so on and so forth. And those of you who take my class or take classes from one of my uh, trained apprentices already know this particular lesson. But um, in it, one of the things we teach you is how to get down to the bottom of what you're trying to learn. If you're reading a book and you want to know, like you're reading a spell book and you want to know about spells and it's this big long treatise on various different kinds of things, but you just want to know how to cast a spell to protect your home, go to the part in the book where you do that. 
go to the part in the book that talks about protection. If it's not clearly defined or something, um, and you have to search a little bit, well, that tells you a little bit about the book and about the writer. Likewise, and this is important for teachers, and I want you all who are teaching to take this into account. If you are taking classes with a teacher, I tell my students, ask that teacher, if you could only teach me one thing, what would it be? That is the most important question that any student can ask their teacher. If you could only teach me one thing, what would it be? And teachers have an answer for this question because even if your students don't know to ask it, asking it yourself gives you a good way of looking at your stuff and prioritizing what your, your sense of importance is, like what you think is most valuable in your lessons. And I test my students with this particular thing by making them ask me. So I tell them, ask your teachers, what is the most important thing you can teach me? What is the one thing you would teach me if you could only teach me one thing? And then I tell them, if your teacher has a pat answer that is ready and developed, then that means that they know their material. They know teaching. They know their thing, so they can answer you easily. If they stop and they say, you know, I'm not sure, let me think about it for a minute, or like, give me a day to answer or whatever, and they go and they put some thought into it, then you know that they're considerate and that they are attentive to the wisdom that they are about to teach you. So they're going to go through it and think about it a little bit, and they're, gonna, they're paying attention to your concerns, which goes back to what Felix was saying earlier, know your students and think about things from their perspective. If they clam up and they say, well, I don't know, and they get upset and cranky with you, or if they get mad at you for asking the question in the first place, or they act like an idiot when you ask the question, or they make some bullshit up out of nowhere, that tells you stuff about the teacher. This is important stuff that teachers need to know about themselves as much as the student needs to know about the teacher. So when they ask me that question, I have an answer. Um, but I have sometimes changed that answer based on the person I'm, I'm being asked, or the person who's asking me. Like, uh, my normal answer is, if anybody says, if you could only teach one thing to me, what would it be? My normal answer, because I'm usually talking to witches, is I would teach you how to use your powers using what we refer to as the, the rules of art. Um, and that's my general answer, because it arms my students. That is the one thing from my lessons in the first year class that you cannot find anywhere else. You can find everything else somewhere else or replace it with something, you know, that would suit you better. Or just replace it with something that suits someone else better. But that's the one thing that I put in there that no one can replace. It is absolutely valuable. So, that's my answer. And um, a lot of my students, when they ask that particular question, uh, they are a little shocked to have that handed to them, and so they pay more attention to it in class, which furthers my goal as their teacher. It's one of the most important things, and it's fundamental to every single lesson in the course. So they learn it quicker. Make sense? Not only does it make sense, but it's actually a pretty good self-promotional piece of advice. I think so, too. Um, it gets people invested. I mean, you should be invested in the things that you're learning. You should ask questions that mean something to you. You should be willing to listen to the answers. Um, you should be willing to wade through things. And that goes back to that let me Google that for you thing. When you want to know something, 
go for it, look for it, ask questions, and be willing to weed through all of the garbage that comes along with it, because sometimes that's a part of it. I cannot tell you, I've had a lot of people jump down on uh, various different authors that I'm actually close friends with, or um, that I really admire um, out in the pagan world. Like, um, And I gotta tell you, um, even if I read a book by them that wasn't the best thing, uh, I learned something from it. And I can guarantee that I kept it on my bookshelf for a really long time if it's not still there now, which it almost certainly is. I have a very large extended like collection of pagan books. But anyways, um, so as the, the subject of occultism, even when someone has something that is not terribly valuable in the moment, it probably will have some value to you later because you'll reach the point where you understand why they wrote it. And the same thing goes for teachers have respect for the, you know, for the lesson and listen to their answer when they answer you. What would you teach if you could only teach me one thing? It will teach you a lot about the teacher. Okay, your turn. All right, so that leads directly into what my next tip is, which awesome. is your students' questions are going to teach you a lot, not only about what they need to know and how they're learning, but also, um, how you listen to that question is going to teach the student a lot about you as a teacher. Um, uh -huh. And you don't have to answer every question because, like, there's going to be a lot of questions that you, you get asked, and going back to the salt earlier, like, you know, if that's off topic for this lesson, then it can maybe be something for a later lesson if you're going to have a later lesson on that, or, you know, possibly, you know, they can sign up for a lesson on that particular thing, but it's good to know that they wanted to know that thing. Uh -huh. um, or if it's just like, you know, so in depth of a thing that it deserves its own lesson. Like, you know, I can't teach you the entire history of demons while we were talking about art magic because it's just, you know, so off topic and also a huge right. topic. But I can teach you the entire history of demons. It's just that not right now. Right. Um, <laughs> and you can look at that and go, we can talk about that later. And maybe you'll want to add some, some to your course if you're doing it one on one or something. You can be like, well, we can add that to your lessons later, or something to that effect. Yeah. But yeah, those questions are really important, and I have seen teachers, like I've even been the student, what? Um, <laughs> where like they're not taking questions. And it's like, it's fine to say, okay, I can't really address questions right now. Can you just save your question until like the later time? Right. But sometimes somebody is asking you a question like right then that will really affect their understanding of what you are saying right now. Right. So it is good to kind of check into that. It's like, hey, is this something that can wait or do you need to an answer right now on that? Well, and that actually goes back to the very first um, point that you brought up. Remember, teachers, your students don't know the things that you know, which means they may see something very relevant that you discarded already. Um, I cannot tell you... Um, I have a prejudice, and I've mentioned it on a number of occasions, that I hate the word energy in the subject of the occult, because the metaphysical and the physical are not the same thing, and energy is a scientific word based on physics, and it pisses me off when people misuse it. Um, but my students don't know why I have that prejudice, so I have to explain it every year, and some students have asked me some very useful questions based on hearing that and having more of a basis in their education in science than I have or having a completely different way of looking at things that have nothing to do with um, the term or my prejudice about it that have taught me, oh, you need to be prepared to answer that too. So 
let them ask questions, even if you're not really prepared to answer them. Let them ask anyway. It'll teach you for the next time. Not only that, but this is really, really an important part. It is often very difficult for students to ask questions because asking a question is showing vulnerability. Um, it is opening you to honestly be mean to them. Well, and I will go ahead and say to all of you out there who are used to listening to me, like, be salty, um, especially those of you, I know that a number of our viewers are, are students of, of the wristing, uh, which is the tradition that, that I teach. Um, and uh, many of them are actually, like, friends of mine. So you guys are very familiar with this particular attitude that I have. I am not nice. I am not nice to my students. I expect them to be ignorant little shitheads about certain things, and I am very pointed about bringing that up when we are in class. However, there is a difference between acknowledging someone's ignorance in a situation and making sure that they are aware of that ignorance so that they can combat it, and being an asshole just for the sake of getting to be the smartest one in the room. I don't do that shit, and I don't truck with that shit. Your students are paying me. Well, they're, like, my students are paying me. I can't say that all of your students are paying you. But my students are paying me money to teach them stuff they don't know that will get them results. That means I am required, I have a responsibility to be respectful of their situation, respectful of their needs and their questions, when someone asks me a question that opens them up to vulnerability, I will poke at that vulnerability so that they will be aware with it as aware of it as much as I am. But I will not use it against them, and I will make it very clear that that is not being done. So that when other people in the class choose to listen to that situation, they won't turn around and use someone's ignorance or someone's vulnerability against them. It's another way to teach. It layers teaching upon teaching. You're not just teaching your students what to do, you're teaching them when not to do it or when to do it. Um, when, uh, well, we'll get into that more when I get into the next point. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, a lot of students out there have had, like, you know, and just people out there have had very bad experiences, especially in, you know, middle and high school. Yeah. When it comes to, like, you know, teachers just not treating them very well just for asking questions. Um, and so you're going to have to be prepared for that. Yes. Um, it's, sometimes it's very difficult to get students to ask questions. So if a student's asking you a question, like, feel blessed. I don't know about feel blessed. Um, well, I tend to yeah. be entitled. Um, <laughs> I laughed after that. So, you yeah. know, feel blessed in quotations. Exactly. In quotations, blessed. Hashtag blessed. <laughs> Thoughts and prayers. Um, but anyways, but like for me, like if a student asks a question, I recognize the bravery that goes behind it as I'm dishing the salt and spilling the tea. Um, you are fine at answering questions. Oh my God. Yeah, I do, I do really good at it. <laughs> Because I recognize when someone asks it, I know what they're going through. But that doesn't necessarily mean I'm nice to them about the answer. Because some questions are actually more illustrative of a student's prejudices in thinking than they are in actually answering something useful for their, for their growth. For example, if they have a particular ethical question, I had one student ask me um, during a healing class, what if I don't want to heal people? And I was like, I don't have a problem with you not healing people, but you are going to have to get through this lesson. And she said, well, I think it's ethically wrong to heal people. This, mind you, this is a woman who was more than comfortable with slinging a hex 
at her neighbor who had a loud um, hot tub. She slung a hex at that neighbor's hot tub and shut the damn thing down so it broke so that it wouldn't keep her up at night because they were in the hot tub and the motor was really loud. And so she broke the whole thing because it was easier for her to do that. So her ethics were certainly not about invasion or meddling with other people. But it's unethical to fix a hot tub. Apparently. So I said to her, well, my favorite little curmudgeon, if that's going to be the stance that you're in, um, fine. I totally accept your position. If you don't want to heal other people, nobody gets to tell you who you have to use your magic on and what you have to use your magic for. But I will tell you, you have to finish your homework, which means you can use this power to do magic on plants. You like to garden, so you can use your magic to help plants grow. But you have to go out to finish your homework. You have to go out of your home and out of your yard and go to some other random place and use your powers. Because if you're doing this, if you're creating this dispute, just because you want to avoid having to do extra work and walk around and do shit, guess what, honey? I got news for you. <laughs> so she actually did the best homework in the class because she had to go out of her comfort zone to do it where everybody else was able to like heal the sniffles and, and shit that her, their family were going through. And so they didn't learn much from it. She went out and she used her powers to regenerate a park and the damn thing bloomed. So there you go. Um, sometimes the questions that they ask you are indicative of flaws in their thinking, flaws in their character. Um, and while I always tell my students that we are not teaching a morality class, we're teaching a witchcraft, like, practicality thing, like, you're just learning nuts and bolts, you have to decide how to use it and what your morality is, sometimes people will learn about their own morality just by investigating this sort of thing because they didn't have power before now, and now they do, and so they have questions to answer. Just... Are we finished with that one? We are done with that one. Good, because we're down to the last question. Or the last tip, I should say. Sorry, not the last question. Uh, the last tip, and we want to get and address some of questions as well in our divination section. But um, the last tip I have for, student, for teachers, for when you're teaching students, is honesty. Be honest with your students. This is not an explain everything oh my God, just tell them everything, blah, blah, blah. This is, your students expect you to tell the truth because they're expecting you to teach them and you cannot teach them by lying to them. So be honest with them if you're going to have to keep information to yourself, if you're going to have to tell them half-truths or not the full thing so that, because there are some things you're going to teach them that you can't explain. They're going to have to experience it and telling them something about it is going to screw up the experience. They have to experience it. Tell them that. This led me, this particular discovery, learning to be honest with my students about stuff that I didn't even think was important, taught me how to do something very important that I'm going to tell all of you to do. Teachers, vet your students before you take them on. Sometimes we take students on because we want to teach the subject because we love the subject. But the student is not going to take that subject with the same respect that we do. They couldn't possibly. They don't know it well enough. Um, some of them might be able to do that, and some of them won't. But all of them need to be vetted before you take them on. I always tell my students the rules for taking my class, and the very first rule is trust me. My very first rule is if you cannot trust me, why are you taking classes from me? Which means I don't want to see you argue with me about things 
because you're trying to defend yourself and you think that I'm a horrible monster for saying something. I've had a student quit my class because something I said to her was so terrifying to her, her raw brain that she just rejected everything I was saying and quit. I've also had students refuse to ask me questions because they don't trust me to, trust, to um, treat them with respect when they ask questions, which goes back to what Felix was saying. I've also had students who didn't trust me enough to do the homework when I told them to do it because they thought they knew better than the teacher. If you don't vet your students and get them to agree to these things, if you don't take them by the hand and say, these are the things I need from you as a student so that I can be a good teacher to you, if you don't tell them these things and you don't make sure that they are aware of your expectations, when those expectations are not met and you get upset and frustrated, they're going to just treat you like you're an asshole. You're just going to be an asshole to them. You're going to be a jerk. Or worse, you won't bring it up and those expectations will never be met and they will have just wasted their time and you will have wasted yours. So vet your students and be honest with them. Um, I always tell people, if you miss my goddamn class, I'm going to be angry with you. If you miss my class and don't tell me that you're going to miss my class, you only have a couple of times you can do that before I kick your ass out. I am working my ass off to make this work, and if you don't give it the same respect that I give it, I am not going to be comfortable teaching you. So I tell them that from the beginning. Um, mind you, and I'm going to say this because I know that some of you are first-time teachers, it's okay for you to decide to add to that list. It's okay for you to decide okay, I need to put this on my list of vetting because clearly this is important. And it's okay for you to subtract things from that list. And it's okay for you to tell students that you are still making this course a work in progress. If anyone tries to make you feel bad about that, they are assholes and you should just not teach them. If anybody tells you, well, if you don't know everything from the very beginning, then um, I don't want to take your class. Okay, they're not the student for you. Or if you've been doing this a really long time and they're like, well, I feel like you're kind of an arrogant asshole and I don't really want to take your classes. Good. Not the student for me. Make sense? We good? I think that I've kind of run that As one. As I say, it's kind of a rhetorical question. Because, I know, well, yeah. like, I was asking you because, like, you guys can't hear me until after we finish recording this. But, like... I would like to add something. Please. Um, which is in tandem to that. Um be honest about what you really can teach. Yes. Um, and this is not just about like people who are teachers selling courses, but I'm talking about like answering questions if somebody asks you on Tumblr. Yes. Like if somebody asks you a question about herbalism and you do not know the first thing about herbs, just upfront like you, for one thing, you don't have to answer every ask in your inbox. And for for another thing, you can honestly just say like, "Hey, I'm not an herbalist." And Google is not giving me enough information about this to be able to answer your question with confidence. And also, you should be Googling if, if I'm Googling. Yep. Um, be really honest about what you're actually able to teach, especially because early on, when you first start answering questions or you first start teaching, you're going to feel like you could teach everything. Yes. Or like you're going to feel like you, you you're can gonna teach want absolutely to. nothing. And There's that too. Yeah, both of those can happen in the same day. But the fact yes. of the matter is, the more you learn about your own teaching, the more you learn about your own practice, and so on and so forth, the better you get. Um, uh, when you don't police this, and you aren't honest with yourself about it, you don't ask yourself questions and take more lessons from other people and, and engage other people, 
a lot of times that leads to fallacy of logic where you will convince yourself of something instead of asking questions or learning about it. For example, I know a lot of people who tell people, um, this isn't possible with magic, that's not possible with magic, blah, 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 when in fact I have uh, something like 60 students uh, who are more than capable of doing it like over the weekend. Or This is about weather magic, isn't it? It's not just weather magic, but it's a lot of things. But it is a lot of things. Like um, one, of, one person I met locally in my community, not a part of my tradition, but locally in the area, she doesn't believe prosperity spells work. She doesn't think they work. And she argued with me chapter and verse about why they don't work because blah, 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 this thing and that thing. And touted a bunch of like principles and law of attraction garbage and stuff like that that I have vetted and those things don't work. So like I looked at her and I was like, shall I show you? And she freaked because it scared the shit out of her that I might have evidence to the contrary. And the first time someone did that to me and showed me how to do something that I didn't believe was possible, it opened my eyes to so many different things in the world. And it meant that for a really long time I was wrong about a lot of things. And I had to face that. And that is what being a teacher is about. Honesty, truth, understanding of things, how they really are, and accepting evidence when it's in front of you. And accepting when there's a lack of evidence, that doesn't mean evidence doesn't exist. It just means you don't have any. So keep trying, keep learning. Okay, um, I think we've kind of burned this one. Yeah, I, the, we've. you can logically construe pretty much the rest of what's there. We have taught enough and have gotten things done to our lesson structure. Yes, and you can take this whole thing and teach, you teachy teachers. Go, Go conquer teach. the world. Except okay. stay here, because there's more stuff. Yes, and that actually brings me to the very last bit. It's time for our final divination segment, a.k.a. Celtic Crosshairs, where we answer questions from our many, 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 many fans, all 12 and a half of you. Uh, I'm kidding. There's probably more of you. Uh, there's at least, like, a full decimal point. I have no idea. Uh, you said math words. So, anyways. We, we, don't, we can't have a half person out there. There are full increments of people. <laughs> yes. But first, before we do that, Felix has some info for you, and we totally don't even have to draw cards for it. Go ahead, Felix. Yeah, so something that we really have needed to mention before, but really haven't, is that if you want to ask a question to get answered on one of our definition segments, or just want to ask a question about things we've said on the show, or things that are in our expertise that you'd like to answer on the show, you can ask those questions at circleofsaltpodcast.tumblr.com. Um, that is where people are managing to ask the questions that get answered on air. We realize that we actually haven't said that on air before, and so if you don't know that we have a Tumblr and you don't know us, like, you know, through the web grapevine, then you've been listening to us answer these questions on this podcast and had no idea how we actually got these asks. Exactly. Unless you use divination to find out. Which is also cool. Um... Anyway, so, all right, so we're going to get started with that. And today's method of divination, um, since we were teaching teachers how to teach their teachings, <laughs> um, we decided that the way we're going to do divination is we're going to use a method of divination that involves asking a teacher. In my case, I'm going to be asking a, a spirit uh, various different questions by using that spirit's deck and um, using a, an oracle method, shut up, and <laughs> using an oracle method <laughs> um, 
to figure out what not only what he's saying, but um, how he's saying it. So it's actually much more brief than that. It's just going to give you information. But I thought I would elaborate a bit. Yeah, in my method, I am using a collection of objects that I have found in various places that I call the road bones. Yes. Um, and when I use the road bones, I am always consulting some sort of spirit or outside authority on the subject. Sometimes it's the spirits that I work with. Sometimes it's the spirits that are sort of attached to the bones themselves because they kind of just, they're, they directly access the crossroads. Hobo spirits. But either way, yeah, they're, I could be asking hobo spirits. And they know a lot. Mm-hmm. They've, they're well-traveled. Um, yeah, and so yeah, I will be consulting for advice from those te teachers. There you go. Okay, so let's start with our first question. Um, do I get to read this one, or is this one of yours? Um, I don't know which this one... Why don't you read the one that you want to answer? Okay. That so you I, want to read. I'm going to actually read this out loud, um, because it was a really fun question. Um, the person is fun. Uh, so... They say, first, this podcast is my favorite podcast. Thank you for being salty and awesome. Thank you. Um, I love you so much just for saying that. Oh, my God. <laughs> I have never imagined us being someone's favorite podcast. And so that, like, warms the, the black depths of my heart. Okay, so the question for the show. One of my best friends lives in Asheville, North Carolina, and has been trying to get me down there, too. My main problem is that I super disagree with politics there. I'm from slash in Massachusetts. But North Carolina has been creeping into my radar anyway, i.e. books I read, YouTube channels I watch, etc. So are these signs and should I actually take the plunge and move there? Sincerely, Candy Farts McGee. You win all the brownie points for that particular name. <laughs> so, Candy Farts, um, I totally sympathize with your political uh, stance on that, like, kind of a lot, and I think Felix probably does, too. I do quite a bit, yes. yes. I actually have some friends in North Carolina who are of a very similar bent to uh, you and I in terms of our political stance, and they're having a hard time about it, too. So you have my sympathy there, which is one of the reasons I wanted to read this particular thing, because you have my sympathy regardless of what the cards say. So your question was if these are signs, and I'm going to go ahead and say before I touch the cards at all, yeah, obviously these are signs, but of what? And that's what I'll be doing my divination on. So Felix, are you going to help us out with this too? Yeah, actually, I, I muted my microphone so I could throw down all these charms without, like, giving you, like, a million clacks. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> so I'll just go ahead and insert the clacks. Clack, 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 Now yeah. we have a quality podcast. Yes. <laughs> HQ, high quality. All right, so let me see here. Who is going to answer and how? Ooh. All right, and what do we say? Oh. So you have your answer, so go ahead and give your answer, and then I'll follow it with mine. I have my answer? I didn't know I had my... I have my pieces on the board. Yeah, I thought you were... Well, you threw your cards, your your, your bones before I threw my cards, so I figured you had Oh, okay. Well, let, let me throw the one last piece. Oh, okay, do I'm the thing. Gonna, uh, mute the microphone so you can't hear it. All right, the clack has clicked. Okay, I still heard All it. All right. Well, you probably heard the aftershock. I did. It was an earthquake. Yeah, it was like... <laughs>
Anyways. We're in a fault zone. Alright, so, um... This is gonna sound really weird. This board has a lot of different pictures from heraldry on it. And I have thrown down a bunch of different charms that I've found on the side of the road onto it to give you some context as to the words that are about to come out of my mouth. Mm-hmm. All right. So the pineapple, which is usually a sign of welcome home, has an upside down bottle cap on top of it, which is um, an immediate sign of like unwelcome. Uh huh. Um, and so that uh, immediately jumped out at me. It was like the first thing I really noticed. Um, there's another bottle cap that has a little phrase on the on the inside. The choice is clear. That is over here on the edge. Uh, the parrot in a ring, um, and also um, a lamb. And actually, I don't think I've gotten lamb before. Hmm. Um, so it's on, so she's on the lamb. <laughs> between yeah, between the lamb and the parrot, um, I th- so to me like the the hesitations that you're getting are kind of making a clear choice. The lamb here is kind of like a sacrificial lamb, mm. um, and the parrot is the warnings you've already kind of gotten, even though you've gotten like in like you've been getting like things about North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, you they've apparently have been negative mm-hmm. um gonna look around some more um okay so <laughs> if you go there be prepared for a fight um one of my other bottle caps which has the rose on it uh landed on samson um destroying the the gates mm-hmm. bringing um, down which the is towers a, yeah, bringing down the, the pillars. The, the, the pillars. Yeah. yeah. Uh, here he's actually holding up some doors. It took me a while to figure out what the hell this drawing was. Um, <laughs> he broke but the yeah. pillars, but the doors are still important. Yeah, so uh, be prepared to make a stand for what you believe in. Um, let's see. Also, what you need to be aware of is that the, the bird in the hand, it's another heraldry thing, has a binder on top of it. So... Um, there are a lot of things that are kind of keeping you there because whatever it is that you already have that's good is kind of binding to you you to where you are right now. If you do want to set this thing on fire, um, the Book of Matches is on top of the Queen's Yacht. Um, <laughs> I'm going to wreck it. <laughs> also on the Damask Rose, which points again to the Samson Pillars thing. Basically, be prepared for a, to, to throw down that's if you want to go. pretty funny, actually, because uh, I got something similar. Yeah, um, so there's, like, a drawing of a rooster here, which is, of course, called a cock. Um, what? And there's an acorn on top of it. <laughs> oh, my God, who wants the D? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, here it's kind of, like, pay attention to the warnings that you're getting, you know, the cock's cry. But also, like, be prepared for some people to be cocks. Yeah, prepare for the dicks. And like, invest you, in the cock, you, honestly. There's oh, an acorn invest here. in the D. I, well, that, invest this, in the is, D. this is the best reading for me. Oh, no. <laughs> so there, like, there are... It's not saying you shouldn't go. Um, but it is saying every inkling you've got about why this might be bad is true, and you will have to deal with that if you do this. See, that makes sense for me, too. Can I do mine now? Yes, please go ahead. Excellent. So the the oracle who comes through to speak to you is the star inverted. Now, the star is the star one way or the other. The star represents inspiration. She's the muse of the deck. But when she's inverted, you do a lot of inspiration to others and you seek inspiration a lot, but lately you've been feeling super disillusioned and that's part of the reason why you're asking this question. 
um, the cards that came up to answer you, we got the Ace of Wands inverted, and then we got to clarify and further answer that, we got the Six of Pentacles and the Tower inverted. The Six of Pentacles is right side up. So literally what it's saying is, you do you, boo, but you know this isn't going to be a good thing. The Six of Pentacles shows that the people who are inviting you out there are offering you something out of the generosity that they have, and it does seem like a nice and generous gift, and I would imagine that there's probably some, some financial support being involved in this situation, or just some largesse. But the Tower Inverted shows that is a shit show that you do not want to be a part of and some garbage is going to be set on fire. So very soon, that whole place is going to go up like a garbage fire. Please be careful. Um, I see destruction in their future. This is not a wise decision. Also, the way that you plan to move, um, the cards are implying that you're kind of in a place where you're like, I'm a wreck it. So uh, there is garbage and fighting. I see um, possible scrapping going on. So just be careful. I'm going to go ahead and say North Carolina's omens, like the, the little omens that pop up that say North Carolina, are because this is so important to you and your power has attracted it to you so you can make a choice. But the fact of the matter is you've got to do things your way. You have to make your choice based on you and your power. And this, from, the car, from what I'm seeing in the cards, is not the way. So, but you still get to choose. It is absolutely in your court. It is your decision to make. So there we go. That is my answer for that. Let's move to the next question. All right. I'm going to read the next question. Yes. Um, and this one is from... we got to give you a nickname. Uh, this one is from Bunny. Um, okay. <laughs> hello, yes. I would like to know why are boys awful? Oh, Bunny, honey. All right. Uh, why boys got to do the thing? Yeah, well, you just asked two boys. Okay, I'm going to mute myself while I like splatter pieces all over the place. Yes. And I'm just going to shuffle and quietly consult the oracle because I don't make huge noise when I do it. I don't always make huge noise whenever I do divination, but when I do... <laughs> it's a clack-clack noise. Oh, wow. Okay. That was weird. I shuffled the deck, and I got the exact same card for the Oracle. So apparently he just really likes that card today. <sighs> Let's see. All right. Should I go first on this? Um, I'm going to go first on this one because you went first last time. Okay. So, oh. Ooh. Okay. So I got the star again for an oracle, and it was inverted again, um, even though I shuffled it quite a bit. So that was very strange. Um, so we're seeing disillusionment from you too. Inspiration, you tend to inspire others and you tend to seek inspiration wherever you go. And I want to point that out to you. That is a strength and the oracle comes to you with that understanding. However, with it inverted like that, you are very disillusioned right now. You put a lot of your eggs into a basket and that basket doesn't seem to be hatching to mix metaphors violently. <laughs> anyway, the answer to your question, though, is the sun, the nine of wands inverted, and the nine of cups inverted. You said, why are boys awful? And the answer is because you're not awful. The sun shows that you live in a realm where you are at the center of everything and everything sort of depends on the light you produce. 
I see that your life is actually full of benign circumstances and positive forces. However, the Nine of Wands inverts, and so does the Nine of Cups. And the Nine of Wands has to do with feelings of danger and needing to feel protected. It has to do with, um, with trying to keep yourself safe from danger. The Nine of Cups has to do with indulgence and wish granting. And with an inverted like that, it feels like you, you feel vulnerable right now because the thing that you wished for looked like it was coming true and now suddenly isn't. That's what it feels like. So, the sun, however, clarifies things and it warns you, remember the light that you give off. Um, remember that the sun burns people if they're not careful. If they get too close, things fall apart. And if you spend too much time um, disrespecting the nature of the sun, then you end up with cancer. <laughs> you end up with a sunburn. You end up with, you know, melanoma. Um, but you still need it to survive. So this is about, you're too big, honey. You shine too bright. You're too big. And people, um, you spend a lot of time feeling like you're out in the cold alone and lonely, but you're not. You feel like that because you're comparing yourself to other things and other people that are like you. When in reality, there are a lot of people around you who need you to survive. And if they get too close, well, I mean, the planet that's closest to our sun is a freaking tiny little pebble that is constantly on fire, and it's about the size of L.A. So, you know, it's big, but it ain't that big. And it kind of hurts. <laughs> so, all the time. So, some people can't handle the heat. And I know that you don't feel like you're big and bright and hot, but you are. So that's what I get to tell you. Go ahead, Felix, it's your turn. All right, Wire Boy is awful. Um, there's a lot of cock in this reading. <laughs> I bet. Just making a note there. There are a lot of pieces. So this chart has two different rooster cocks and also a peacock. And there are pieces on each of those in this reading. Wow. Um, so the arrow in this reading um, is going hmm. from the tent the tent, which has had an ap upside-down apple thrown into it, um, is pointing towards the cock. Um, <laughs> Please. And so, something has happened at his home. <laughs> okay. And has thrown it into disarray. And this is being compounded by... The pineapple is in this one again. Um, there is a ring on top of it that is also conjoining it with the goat's head. Um, the ring... Um, is usually indicative of a lady because I got it from a lady. Um, and in this case, I'm gonna say is either a mother figure or a like ex-wife. Um, but someone who's definitely stubbornly exerting something in his home. Oh great. Um, so this is like more of a Lenormand reading than yeah, like an of, oracle. Right. It's sort of like bitch. <laughs> oh, I should mention that the tent um, is next to the peacock, so it's like cock to cock here. Um, so what does that mean? Like, there's some gay going on, or...? Um, it's just, like, really exerting, like, it's really, really emphasizing on, on the D in this particular reading. So specifically, um, they're awful because they let their dicks make all the decisions. <laughs> This one is like, I, I think that he really, I'm not going to say he's like with someone else, but someone else wants his D. There you go. 
Um, he, well, the thing is, like, he's also kind of, uh, attracting a lot of attention. Is um, he? he's, someone's trying to court him. Yeah. Um. And you said it could be his mom? That's creepy. That's more like somebody exerting some chaos onto his household. It's either, like, a, you know, mom or ex-wife. Um. Mm -hmm. Is, but is that the one that wants the D? Because that's creepy. There's, like, some serious... <laughs> no, that's not the one that wants the D. The one that wants the D is the peacock. Okay. See, um, and that... Okay, see, that's... So, there's a dude involved. I, I don't think this time. Oh, okay. Um, I'm just not getting that vibe from it. Although, like, you know, the whole female energy, male energy thing, like, is... I hate mockable. I fucking hate that that whole like heteronormative binary bullshit. But I yeah, this going. one actually has like heteronormative binary bullshit attached to it. Ew. So. Okay. Well, there. You um. Go. There's another. There's a third cock. Let's keep an eye on this cock. Um. <laughs> that one is. Um. It's got a upside down timepiece on it, tying it to, um, a fancy wig that you would wear to go out. Um. Uh. And it, it's like I I'm describing that because the name of it is a tie wig which is not something we have in this century is it's it heraldry dude it's like dude it's like a drag queen <laughs> it is it's i like, love that you give this com this commentary it's like a drag queen like wig it's like he tries and to dick and peacock so the inf the the input i'm getting from here is where he tries to get up all fancy to go out and then suddenly his time turns upside down oh um so that's why this one in particular, and I've also got the magic bottle, ca bottle cap. It's got like a little hand holding a wand with stars coming out oh, cool. on top of the porter, who is a person going out to deliver things. And so some magic has been done when it comes to this. Oh. Um, that's like positive magic. Um, whether that's like, I'm not getting some good indications that that's really going to be favorable in results, though. Okay. Uh, the binder is on top of um, the uh, tulip flower here. Um which is like giving me then like you know how the lily is the the sex card in the lettermond yes um the tulip's giving me the same impression here it's like st it's not gonna happen okay um so and it, this is this is like what these things are basically telling me is that like the situation is shit uh-huh see what i would say is since you, since you mentioned that there was magic being done and it's not coming to the results that people are wanting i would say Maybe do some divination about the magic itself and do more magic, better magic. Yeah, and there is some there's some money involved. I got the penny on top of some travel cards. Oh, maybe um, the person's having travel concerns. Yeah, and like financial issues with traveling. Are um, like it um and I guess we would be asking um Bunny, we would be asking Bunny, is this person someone who has to spend money to travel to you? Because if they are that might be part of the issue. Yeah, there's... Sounds like there's a there's, lot, there's, there's, There is a lot. This is like a really complicated situation. There's a lot blocking things. It's not going to be easy magic that makes this happen. And uh, I would start focusing more on the things that Rune's reading we're talking about than okay. getting him over to your place because he's got some shit going on in the background that you're probably better off being away from right now. That makes sense. Okay, yeah. so let's go on. What other questions do we have? Let's see. We. I'm going to check and see if we've gotten any additional ones since then. 
we don't have a whole lot of them in the queue okay this time which is fine because we went pretty long already yes um i would like to give a shout out to simplistic wist which Simplistic yes. Witch, for um, mentioning us in his video of top five favorite witchy podcasts. Yes, I was going to um, do because the same I, that thing. was you beat me pretty cool. It. Thank you very much, Simplistic Witch. Yeah, your your commentary on it was like very nice to hear, and and, and like super excited that you recommended um, our podcast. And you guys should go and look at his channel on YouTube and watch the uh, the various different like episodes of his his um, video cast that he does, especially the one that tells you that we are the best ones ever. That's right. So I'm gonna go. Uh, there's there's some there's one question that isn't really a divination question. I'm gonna go to the one that is. Okay. Um, and this is from Salted Tarot Paper. It's t Salted Tarot Card Paper Cuts. Yes. Ouch. Um, <laughs> I'm okay with that. This is, yeah. Um, I have been collecting tarot cards for over 15 years now, but finding myself not using them as often as I used to as a divination tool, what is the best way for me to get reacquainted with my tarot decks, and is it time for some of the decks to move on to new homes? Okay. So, uh, the first thing that you can do to get reacquainted with your tarot decks... Um, is not going to be a divination yet. I'm not going to do pull the cards just yet. It's going to be something from my book. You should totally read my book. And in my book, it tells you a ritual that you can use to connect to the powers of your tarot deck, which I heartily encourage you to do. That should allow you to summon its powers and turn it into a magical tool and not just a divination tool, but it will also allow you to initiate into its mysteries, which may be exactly what you need. However, let's see what the cards say too. All right, let's see here. Ooh. Doo, doo, doo. I feel like we should be playing like like elevator music when this happens. Oh yeah. Oh. That's my best impression of smooth jazz. Ooh. Okay. You sound like you are reacting to something. I am. You can go ahead with your answer if you're ready. I am. I'm going to clack around a bit, so I'm going to mute myself. Okay. So go ahead. All right. So while Felix does the clack clack, I'll tell you what my card said. So the oracle that comes out for you is the magician. Magician card has to do with a lot of things. Um, the usage of your will and skill and insight to play the game the way you want to play it, to change the rules. The Magician card has to do with creativity and will, but when they say creativity, what they're specifically saying is you see past a lot of what other people think is just what it is. You see behind the curtain. You see the trick. And you use your skills and talents to influence those situations to work out in your favor. Um, sometimes tilting the game and sometimes you know wrecking it or um, turning it against itself but and sometimes just using your skill to play along however it inverted when it came out which is yet another inversion of the oracles in this deck in this particular situation um be wary of thinking you know everything and i, I don't know specifically what this is referring to in your situation because um, from what I can tell, you're not, you know, asking anything that's terribly, like, snotty or know-it-all or whatever. But be wary, because the cards are saying that the magician often trips himself up when he is 
trying too hard to know everything and be in control of everything. He juggles too much and then things kind of fall apart. But the cards that came up to answer your question, the magician was saying, like, I'm going to answer the question for you. And then the answer he gave is the Nine of Swords, which sucks. And then the Strength card and then the Two of Cups inverted. So the Nine of Swords is about anxiety and you're borrowing trouble and worrying about too much. But I got to tell you a thing about that. The Nine of Swords has to do with borrowing from the future to try to take care of it and get a jump on it. When we, um, It's often seen as the Nightmare card. And the reason we do the Nine of Swords is because like, we're anxious about the future. We're anxious about a situation that we haven't figured out yet. So we have nightmares, we have anxiety, we have difficulty sleeping, etc. But also that card can represent a premonition. So literally what this is saying is you are borrowing too much from the future and that is the reason why you have anxiety about all of these things. It's not just the tarot decks. You have anxiety about multiple things and it's because you're trying too hard to borrow from the future and take care of the problems ahead of time. And that never works. The Strength card and the Two of Cups inverted show that you are, well, the Strength card has to do with the virtue of your heart. And the Two of Cups has to do with emotional connection. And since you said you were having trouble with a connection to those cards, um, trust your emotions, trust your feelings, and let the cards express them. Let them listen and express them, and that is the best way for you to do it. So you've heard of people doing um, deck interview spreads. I hate those. I know a lot of my friends actually love them, and you know, to each their own, but I hate them because the best relationship you can get into with your cards is one of they're an extension of you. They're an extension of your emotions. So here's what I want you to do. Take the cards and say, tell the world what I am feeling, and then lay out a spread. Like, lay three cards out. Lay five cards out. Whatever is a simple spread for you. That will teach them how to express things again in your harmony. You can reacquaint yourself by having them tell you back what it is you're feeling so that you can know where to go next. Don't ask them for information that you don't have. Ask them for information that you do. But let them show you in a new way. So that's my advice to you. All right, I am going to follow that up with actually not a bone reading. I was cleaning up those bones but not casting them again because I decided that if it's a question about tarot, I should ask a tarot deck. Okay. So this time the teacher is my first tarot deck. Oh my god, you still have it? Yeah, actually, um, I've had it since I was 14 years old. Oh my god, that thing must be so old. Not only that, but I got it used, so its copyright is actually 1971. Oh my god, that thing must be so old. <laughs> I'm You're like trying to get a rise from it or something? No, I'm trying to get a rise from you, because, oh, so everyone knows, Felix, oh, oh, oh. Felix is a month older than me. Oh, that's right. So yeah. I have to tease him about being the old one in our relationship. It, like, that completely went over my head, too. That was funny. <laughs> That's because you're getting old. You know, they say that the mind is the first thing to go. That's right. Well, I'll try to, like, <laughs> still get some answers from these tarot cards. Okay, go. So, um, you're getting the wisdom from my first tarot deck and the first tarot deck that I connected from. I thought that made logical sense. There you go. So, uh, how you can better connect with your tarot cards. Um, I'm actually going to draw from the middle. Um, 
because you can just let your tarot deck give what it thinks is the best card to you. Sure. And <laughs> it's the Eight of Pentacles. Study. <laughs> not just not specifically in this case, because um, the Eight of Pentacles is a you know someone making something and doing the work. Um, you gotta connect by using them and reading them. Yeah, there you go. I knew my tarot deck was gonna give you something kind of sarcastic about a question about how to read tarot, I mean, especially it, like a, a deck that answer? isn't it. It's I don't okay so I'm tired of like people saying that there's deck sass or salty decks because it's like no this deck is honest well, and it's the only reason why it's giving a bit of a sarcastic answer is because you're asking it a question about how to read another tarot deck which is not it aw <laughs> so <laughs> props there but um specifically it's like you got to read to bond there you go like you just pull them out and start reading and you can read about a tv show you like like what's going to happen in the next episode of steven universe um you can analyze your otp for a show that you like you can ask completely idle questions but you got you two gotta talk oh, that makes and sense. i know that you're a deck collector so you've already got several decks let's ask the question about what to do about the extra decks you got because mm because -hmm. that was asked like you know um <laughs> Sorry, I didn't even get to draw a card there. There you go. Sometimes you okay. So sometimes I just get impressions from my deck, and it doesn't even need a card to tell me. Um, no, you should keep them all. <laughs> that sounds okay, very. The tarot much, deck is going to be biased. <laughs> that sounds very much like a teacher that's been teaching you since you were fourteen years old. Yes, keep all your decks. Um, so also, that's eat that is the because we're old. I will tell you as a deck collector that um, if you, like, I feel that as a deck collector, if you're going to, like, give away tarot decks, you should be getting more decks in exchange. <laughs> you're like, okay, I'll give you one, but you give me two. <laughs> like, if you're, like, because I don't think the problem is that you have too many tarot decks, Felix basically. sleeps on a bed made out of tarot decks. That's what you do. I don't. Not yet, because I haven't acquired all of the Silhouettes First Edition, and that would be what but I But you have a on. stuffed animal that you put tarot decks inside of. That's true. I do. His, yeah. His name is Pockets. And he yes. has Pockets. Okay, so let's go ahead and move on to the last question there's a one more question and it's not really a tarot or no. divination question it, but it, it should I, be addressed because it's awesome i think it's a good question and i don't know how much you're going to say in response to it okay but um how much posing does jojo geekomancy require all of it from um jojo fan 91 all of um it. all the posing all. See, and that's great because you haven't even watched this show yet, but you know. I see, but I've been watching little cut scenes, and I happen to freaking love the the show. It looks hilarious to me. It is great, and yeah. So I will give you actually a nice little uh, JoJo fact. Uh -oh. Um, uh, Araki Sensei, the guy who actually draws the manga, um, he started drawing those poses specifically. So that people wouldn't physically be able to do them. Like, he just wanted it to be kind of a flair thing that his characters had. He wanted to draw things that weren't possible. And so part of the reason why he drew it like that was to draw these poses that were not humanly possible for people to physically do. And so when he was told that people were actually doing the poses in real life, he was actually a bit horrified and worried. Right, for their health. Oh my yes. god, anatomically incorrect anime. He's responsible for all of it. 
So according to the creator of the manga, no, you should not be posing. But according to the entire rest of the universe, yes, yes. all the posing. Approximate poses are fine. I think there are some bits of JoJo Gikomancy that you could technically do without posing, but the thing is, like, even if you're like going to use tarot cards to, to do jojo gikomancy because the third season has like tarot card powers and stuff sure. like to handle those tarot cards you need to pose you need to do the most elaborate motion possible to whip out that tarot card and then like you know gonna, cross your arms as you hold it up i'm gonna say that you should definitely okay so as someone who teaches cloud sorcery and there's an awful lot of moving around like she's a cheerleader and she's super more athletic than i ever have been in my life um, I'm going to go ahead and say that Jojo Geekomancy is probably like any Geekomancy that revolves around the movements of the characters. Um, it works better if you mimic them the best you can. But unfortunately, sometimes that's not going to work. So if you aren't going to mimic them as best you can, come up with a way of representing the same movements and do it that way. Like, when I tap a card and say, you know, return to the guys you were meant to be in, cloud card, I don't uh, do the spinny baton and then slam a card down in the air kind of a thing. I very gently, but firmly, tap it with my wand in the altar space that I'm working with. And that is enough for me. So, but I also tie a whole bunch of other crazy shit into my spells. So, and they're all in the book. So go ahead and read the book if you have got it. And if you don't have it, then you can get it from me for cheap. But anyways. I think, yeah. And, and another thing that I think Jojo Kikomancer requires is sound effects. Um, be, and you know that if you watch the show, there's all kinds of weird sound effects. And they even illustrate, they, they, they literally write the sound the onomatopoeia for the sound effect Into on screen, screen and it floats by like the katakana is floating across the screen i feel like that's important and i feel like if you don't use that exact thing then you should use something that represents that thing this is like you should be effect. focusing on that sound like how you imagine magic. that sound to be that's going to be a way of attuning you to that kind of these are a part of the like magic. feeling I yes agree. i absolutely agree we will be doing more of a geekomancy podcast soon yes okay so is that all of our questions? That is all for this time. All right. Well, then let's go ahead and have you send us off because that concludes our podcast for the night. That is, yes, that does conclude things. So um, you've got your answers. You've got a bunch of answers about how to teach, so wise how to learn. Now. So learn it because of our sagacious advice. You now know the word sagacious if you didn't before. <laughs> and with that, may the circle of salt protect you. <laughs>